0: She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. The results are there.
1: Income growth for the bottom decile, the Bottom 10% of the population, it's 6.5%. You know, since the president was elected, we've created 56,000 auto jobs in America. And so everything is li- has lifted off, and, and our view is it's just going to continue.
2: These immigrants, when immigrants come here with their hopes and dreams and aspiration and determination to make the future better for their families, that optimism, that courage, their American traits, and all of these immigrat- immigrants make America more American.
0: I am always optimistic, you know, but
3: now it's just vital. Congress must act. The president has made this a priority, continues to make it a priority in every way he possibly can exercise his authority. But look, this is Congress courts and criminals. That's who we gotta fix.
0: And now, Stacey Washington.
4: Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Ride here on American Family Radio, Urban Family Talk, and other fantastic networks. Yeah. <laughs> America's Voice TV. And you can find out more about me at Project 21, which is nationalcenter.org. And you can also check out the Second Amendment Foundation. I'm their 2018 Journalist of the Year. And uh, we are just slamming and jamming today. It's a really interesting day. I, I got to say. Um, just to start off the show on a note that has zero to do with politics and maybe it might even be too much information. But today for my lunch, I roasted two portobello mushroom caps and I used steak seasoning to try to trick myself into thinking that they were steaks. Not because we don't have steaks in the freezer. We do not because I'm, you know, like some anti meat lunatic. You guys know I'm not, but the portobello mushrooms are 20. The caps are 20 calories each. So 20 calories for each mushroom cap and then olive oil and some sliced up the tiny little red potatoes, and um, roasted on, four, on in the oven on the top shelf 400 degrees for 20 minutes. And then I sprinkled a little bit of A1 sauce on those and ate them. And I had to say, I, they did not convince me that they were steak, but they were really good. So take that with you. <laughs> How about that for some news and information? So if you're wondering about the political side, today on the show, we're going to discuss... How 41% of New Yorkers can't actually afford to live there, and they're just getting this information because now that they can't deduct their state and local tax deductions, so their their high property taxes, and that uh, they're not able to deduct that anymore. Now, that was a way that New York, and obviously New York contributes a great deal to the federal government budget. Their taxes are high. They consider themselves to be producers and not takers. They They call Southern states, some Southern states, takers, meaning that they put less money in and they get out of the federal government. This is the system that's set up. And, and if we don't like it, we send representatives to Washington, D.C. to change that. But regardless of the character, characterizations that different states may make about other states, the fact is New York has an untenable tax burden. And it's been decades. I have a couple that I know here in St. Louis, and they were both stockbrokers, so not hurting for change, and they left New York because of their local property tax burden. It had become unsustainable for them. And this is a couple who they made really, really good incomes, both of them working at the New York Stock Exchange and running brokerages of their own. So if couples like that left New York 20 years ago, Imagine what people are going through now. And that's people at the upper end of the income scale for people who are, you know, working m- much closer to the median income for Americans or, you know, middle class, working class, even upper class Americans. It is very difficult to afford a normal lifestyle in New York. A regular one bedroom, one bath apartment there is 1700 a month in rent. And purchasing one is an astronomical endeavor that most people, when you think about buying a home and a four bedroom, three and a half bath house on a third of an acre in the Midwest costs half of what a two bedroom, one and a half bath apartment costs in New York. That's what drives people to move to other parts of the country. Now, I see some good news in that whole story and we'll get into that, but I, I just want to leave this with you to think about. And then when you call in in the third segment, maybe you'll have a response. I Could it be that the way we have all of our heavy heavily populated areas are centered around these major cities where the burdens there are too great for people to have a good lifestyle people don't want to have kids millennials are slowing down on having kids because they can't afford to get started in life and actually what they you know start a family triggered somebody's triggered out there but they can't afford to start a family and could it be that a lot of these people Maybe millions of them need to move back to the parts of the country that are right now more sparsely populated, where you can make a living and still have a job. Could that be? I don't know. We'll see. You can call in at 866-963-2037. So our guest for today is Brian Colfage. He's the mastermind behind the grassroots crowdfunded border wall campaign. You remember this one? I was all giddy about it and I was sharing it on social media. Um, we're going to get an update from him. The website for him is webuildthewall.us, and we're going to discuss how uh, one of the lieutenant generals, Gen- Lieutenant General McFarlane, he had some comments on identity politics that I thought were pretty interesting as an Air Force veteran and fourth generation military veteran where I I hadn't considered what kind of an impact the current identity politics mantra that's being beat into our kids in public school Um, That what impact that was having on on people who go into the military recruits I just remember and i've shared the story many times about being in basic training and uh, One of the very first days they had us in an auditorium And we were sitting there, you know, just kind of thinking what are we doing in here? You know, thank god we're in here and not out doing push-ups, you know If you make a mistake, they make you drop do 50 push-ups and it was just murder And uh, so we were in the auditorium. We're just glad to be sitting down And he comes out and he says i'm here to reorient you, you're going to be a unit, an asset of the U.S. government. And we're going to be a team, one unit, one team. And he said, right now you're sitting here, you're thinking about yourself, you think about yourself in terms of what you want, what you feel, what you want to get done. And I'm here to let you know that over the next six weeks, we're going to turn you into a useful instrument of the U.S. military and that you will be an asset to us and you will be a team member. and You will think about your team first. And I remember thinking, this guy's got to be out of his mind. There's no way I'm thinking about teams before myself. But by the end of that six weeks, I was definitely doing that. And it didn't happen at the end. It happened like shortly after his speech. I started thinking about the team. So it's interesting to hear him talk about that. And then we'll also get into MAC Cosmetics and Benefit. Uh, those are two cosmetics makers. They also make creams, everything having to do with beauty for women. They've launched campaigns to fund Planned Parenthood. And so you know me, you throw down your gauntlet as a, com- a company. You wanted to let me know that you're going to take my, my money as profit and um, use it to fund something that I find morally repugnant, like Planned Parenthood. Well, out, out we go. I'm gathering up all my MAC cosmetics. What's left over? Because I really I haven't bought anything new from them in years, but I still have some eyeshadows and things and I'm going to get rid of them. Um, and I might even do it on a live stream. I'm, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of these companies taking a side in the culture battle, uh, knowing that multiple millions of us, tens of millions of us are pro-life. Um, so right now, uh, before we get to the encouragement, because it has something to do with this next audio clip you got Elizabeth Warren, who basically she went into preacher mode. Yeah, I said it, preacher mode. I go into it too sometimes. It's where I'm really good on a subject, and I'm like, you know what? The Lord has something for these people, and I'm sharing it, and it's awesome. And she thought she was going there too with her pro-abortion self. So she's explaining why God sends some people to heaven and some to the other place. It's number four.
2: I raised my children uh, in the Methodist church. What it is for me is The importance of the lessons we learn when we remember our values, when we remember our faith. The story for me is Matthew 26. And I'm sure some of you, a lot of you, know this story. You know, this is the one where the shepherd is dividing the world into the sheep and the goats. And as we all know, sheep are going to heaven, goats, meh, they're not. (laughs) And the sheep ask him, why us? Why us, Lord? Why did you pick us? We look like those like those guys. And the shepherd, the Lord, answers back by saying, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me water. I was in prison and you, vis- and you visited me. Naked and you clothed me. Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of these, the least of thy brethren, ye have done it unto me. And and what I hear in that is two things that guide me every day. The first is there is God, there is value in every single human being. Every single human being.
4: And the second Is that we are called to action. So all of the human beings, except the ones who are still in their mother's womb, clearly, because she sees value in the human beings that she can redistribute income from other human beings to the human beings she feels are needy. But she doesn't see any value, any intrinsic value in human life that's still in the womb. And I wish that because she's on CNN, so obviously she's in an echo chamber of a clap fest, you know, city, but she's not going to get the questions that regular Americans would want to know. So by that statement that you just made about Matthew 26, the least of these. Then you would be opposed to what your party is currently trumpeting, which is that a baby born alive after an abortion who could be put up for adoption to a waiting family, families waiting for newborn babies. They outnumber any other group when it comes to adoption. You would be willing to let that child live and and be taken care of in place for adoption instead of having the mother and the child or the mother and the doctor decide what to do with that child as in kill it. That's the question she should have been asked. And so what I saw in the video clip is her making a whole lot of these, you know, she's gesturing and she's pulling the audience in with this emotional rhetoric and she's using the Bible to justify her position as a Democrat, a redistributor of wealth. But while she's doing that, she's ignoring the biggest issue we have in this country right now, the blood crying out from the street and the road, the highway and the byway, the abortions that are happening on Saturdays and Sundays while Christians have their hands lifted in church, singing at the top of our lungs, little, you know, contemporary music bands drumming on the drums and playing the guitar and all of us are waving and singing. And we think we're doing something while the abortionaries are cranking out the death. And she has the audacity to quote Mark Mark 26 and the parable of the sheep and the goats to try to justify her platform. And she had people in that audience eating it up. The sweet words tickling their ears and causing them to feel as if they, yeah, this is the reason why we want to have someone who's a Democrat because they are quoting the Bible and they're, they're religious and spiritual too. And they know it's not just the, the people on the right. And far be it from me. I don't see it as a right left issue it's a bible or unbiblical issue it's a hey i'm on the side of life and I'm on the side of what God has ordained and what is what his word says I'm obedient to that or i'm not so it's not a it's not a left right issue, but it kind of is in the aspect of who you're going to vote for you have to vote for someone based on whether or not they believe a baby is a baby is a human being is a, cre- a creation of God is something that you can't touch. You can't snuff that life out, whether it's unborn or born. Because really now we're into the weeds. We're in semantics and we're talking about infanticide. They're killing the babies in the womb. It's still killing in the womb. We're making a designation because we, our law currently splits the issue. It's infanticide if the baby's already born and the Democrats are saying it isn't. And she's one of those Democrats and she's quoting the scripture. So I'll leave that to you. We have a phone call I want to get to really quickly. Uh, Ken in Arkansas, thank you so much for calling the show today. Uh Uh-oh, I may need to do this. I may need to hit this button myself. Do I? I've been listening to you
3: you for a while, and I love your laugh. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks. I really enjoy it. And look, and... You're, you're exactly where I am. The thought process is exactly where I am. I just don't... I, I just don't get it. How can we continue to let these the radicalized Democrats come in and change all the rules to accommodate what they want when they don't do what they want? They uh-huh. literally they literally, it's just like Congress, wanted to jack it up to 13 13 members. When they're not in control and they don't get what they want, they just find a way
4: to go change the rules or change the laws. Absolutely, Ken. Thank you so much for calling and for the compliments. And we'll be back with our first guest today in just a little bit. Brian Colfidge will be with us. Stay right there.
1: It's amazing, but true. When it comes to one of America's biggest household expenditures, healthcare, a lot of people think they've got no choice. People are used to thinking we have to do it this way, but they don't. Yes, you have the freedom to choose an alternative with your healthcare. It's Metashare, and it costs way less than the alternatives. The typical family saves $500 a month, not a year. A month and if you're single this can save you a lot too and let's face it a big reason MediShare is 400,000 people strong it just works they've shared over 3 billion in medical bills so they can help share your needs too joining MediShare for so many people is one of those things that makes you say why didn't I do this before so yes the time has come for something better look into joining MediShare and see why so many people are opting out of the old way and into the new why not look into this? Just call 855 Psalm 23 That's 855-PSALM-23. 855 psalm 23
0: Hi, I'm Crawford Ritz with a Legacy Moment. I have a great friend who teaches at a Christian college, and God has used this guy in wonderful ways, especially to mentor and encourage young men. He's been very successful in helping them find and discover God's mission for their lives and get after it. He expresses great confidence in them, and that confidence bolsters their faith. And years later, after establishing thriving ministries, often they return to thank my friend for seeing their potential. Did you know that God does the same with us? Listen to Judges chapter 6, verses 12 and 14. God calls Gideon and gives him an assignment that really defies where he is. Verse 12 says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, meaning Gideon, and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Now that's ironic because Gideon was hiding out. He was afraid. He was scared of the Midianites. He was concealing himself, and the Lord says, God is with you, O valiant warrior. Verse 14, And the Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have not I sent you? God focuses on our potential and not on where we are. Gideon was not in a place of strength, so to speak, but God saw who he could make him. God will often call us what he wants us to become. He called Gideon a valiant warrior before he fought the first fight. He said, Gideon, you're a strong man. You're a valiant warrior. I see what you can be. That's what God sees in you. Here's what I want you to remember today. God's call to do something is also a call to be someone. Submit to God's call for your life. He sees what he can make of you. So now become what he calls you. Legacy Moment is a production of Moody Radio. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
4: Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being with us today. You can find out more at AFR.net, dot UrbanFamilyTalk.com, and yeah, I'm wearing my uh, Great British Bacon shirt today. It says, nobody likes a soggy bottom, and it means the bottom of the pie when the inside of the pie has seeped through to the outside. The Brits call that a soggy bottom, and that's not good when you're baking pies. Just want to let you know. All right, so welcome back to the program. It's my pleasure to welcome our next guest to the show. Um, it's Brian Colfidge. He's the mastermind behind the grassroots crowdfunded border wall campaign. And I'm so excited to have you today on the show, Brian. Thank you for joining us. Oh, yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. So let's talk about this. You got the website, webuildthewall.us. And what is the status? What, what what kind of help are you able to provide to getting the wall finished up and built or started or what have you?
3: Well, we're we're doing this the project privately, and uh, you know, we we're able to give people who want border security protection. And we're going to build you know, on their property privately and give them the, the protection that they haven't had, the protection that the government's not giving them.
4: So you're talking about people who live on the border. Who currently have no wall, no no federally provided protection, and yes. they have a lot of uh, you know illegal aliens dying on their property. Sometimes they're getting robbed and stuck up, and sometimes they come home and their house has been ransacked uh, by illegal aliens. And these are people who live kind of they live on the outer edges of our country, where we are so used to living in the areas where you if I dial nine one one, the police are here in a minute and thirty seconds, you know. But that's not the case out where these people live.
3: Yes. Yeah. That's right. exactly what the problem is. And, um, they they feel neglected. They've been asking for border security. Our government hasn't given them what they're asking for. And uh, for the first time, these people are going to be able to have the chance to protect their property um, and really impact nationally. internationally. And um, like both section we're able to provide pretty large sections and um, impact the cartels that are coming across. And uh, you know, it's just, Americans in time and need, they, they come together to get things done. And This is a national crisis, and American people are coming together to help these people on the border. And, I mean, it's just not helping people on the border. Every state now is, is a border state with the, the opioid crisis going on. Um, you know, we've met people in, in Cincinnati and Detroit who have lost family members to the opiate crisis, and, you know, this is going to affect them as well.
4: So when you say you guys are going to put up um, mm. border wall this is only obviously you're only doing that for people who live on the southern border who their private property borders with Mexico, correct? Correct. Yes. So have have you been and, able to do that yet, or is that something that's still in process?
3: Uh, we, no, we we've been we haven't started building yet. We've been in the progress of first over the last it's been two months now, and we've, we've identified uh, at least eight locations. Uh, we've been working with lawyers to get uh, the whole thing legally handled through the property owners um and uh where we're at right now is with our first property that we're going to be building next month we're going to start breaking ground next month and um it's i, mean, I wish i could name where it's at but we can't name because of uh the aclu and these other liberal, liberal groups who want to sue us the impede our our progress but um it's actually happening the process is happening. We're going to be filing permits bills pretty soon, and uh, the project is moving really forward. But as soon as we start breaking ground, we'll be putting that information out there to show the American people what we're doing, and it's, it's going to be happening. And we're going to be making putting up our border wall before the president gets his. So I think it's going to make some pretty big waves when uh, this private project is doing more than the federal government's doing.
4: So let's let's talk a little bit about that. The latest breaking news about the border or, or the immigration problem is that with all of the detention facilities bursting at the seams, they've now taken to busing people into different cities and dropping them off. Three busloads of illegal aliens were just dropped off. Um, I, I didn't even look to see where I was so enraged, but it was on drudge. Um, what, where, where do you see... The president going with this when he's he literally has his hands tied behind his back, by Congress and their inaction on the Flores decision.
3: Yeah, I mean he does have his hands tied behind his back, and uh, he's probably the first president actually fighting for us to you know fix the solution and even for both sides. And uh, you know I think it's it's a bigger problem than just the border wall. The border wall is, is it really a bandaid to, to the issue. The issue the Mexican cartels and can, I think we can be honest that Mexico, Mexico is a is a failed narco state. Almost every state in Mexico is controlled by uh, these cartels, and uh, it's time we start taking the fight to these cartels. The cartels are the problem, and uh, you know it's going to take more than just a wall. And I think our laws in general are being abused. That we need revamped, up to date laws about asylum. A lot of people say, "Oh, asylum is a is a privilege if you're being persecuted." And that's correct, but political asylum is, but economic asylum is not, and that's that's the issue. Just because your your country is failing, it doesn't give you the right to come to the United States and claim asylum. Um, our asylum laws are for people who are being uh, discriminated against on race, gender, nationality, um, or who are their lives are in danger of like being killed from persecution. And that's that's the law. And we need to uphold those laws instead of it being abused. And you know, every country has laws on hard times. It doesn't give doesn't mean they can come to the United States on a free pass. You know, it's uh mm-hmm. these these laws are outdated, and it's going to take a lot more than just the walls. It's going to take laws being revamped.
4: It is. And so, what what you you have this viral crowdfunding campaign, and you're you're an American. You know, you you have an interesting backstory yourself. But you're not separating yourself off as being, you know, some some kind of really unique individual in that you just see an issue that you really care about and you see it as impacting all Americans. And so you decided to step up and do something about it. What can other Americans do who might be listening to this and feeling, you know, you feel helpless. That's what I felt. What made me feel so angry when I saw that story on Drudge is when I when I hear that the U.S. federal government is taking illegal aliens and busing them into a city. And just dropping them off because they can't detain them anymore and they can't bust them into Mexico and drop them off. Like it's it's as if I'm living in some kind of it's a a horrible alternate reality in which I know we have laws that are just and protect the weak and the innocent and punish the evildoers. But we also have laws like the ones that are permitting them to do this. And you feel powerless. You feel helpless. What can Americans do to kind of take action the way you have?
3: yeah I think uh, you know the, in a time of crisis hold on, I think the American people you know they, they 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 need to know that they they can fight they can you know, take action and I think that's what this project is about is is about people coming together when the government is not allowed getting their job done and what what we're asking is for is people just to come and join to join our movement and it's, we, we we need volunteers we need um, donations. But also just people want the people the chance to stand up and to fight back. This is not about sitting back and, you know, because we're actually building wall. We're building sections of the United wall, exactly as the federal government's doing it. It's the exact same standard. And I think that's the beauty of this thing. We're coming together be the fight for what we believe in. And in, it's not all about the donation. It's about us coming together. And, uh, you know, we're going to need the people to come together. And we, we still have a website at we build at U.S. And will just send us a message on there of, like, if they own a company, if they own a trucking company, if they just come out and, and help in any way, we need all the volunteers that we can get uh, to get this project going. Because ultimately, that's how we're able to build this wall for so cheap and undercut what the, what the government's doing. Like, they charge $18 million per mile. And we're able to do it for two to three million dollars for a mile. It's because we have the American people volunteering to work and get this job
4: done. I <laughs> that statistic is crazy. Eighteen million dollars a mile for steel yeah. bollard fencing, which the cartels regularly, if they don't like a section of our border wall, they just drive a truck up to it. And put some explosive down and blow it up. They probably watch a lot of our TV and movies because in the movies, yeah. right, Brian, uh, in our movies, in Amer- coming out of Hollywood in America, um, if someone doesn't like something or they want to kill a whole bunch of people or they want to blow a hole in something, whether it's a bank vault or, you know, anything they'll just put some C4 on there and then they stick a little antenna in it and then they go around the corner, which I don't know how accurate that is, but they go around the corner and then they press a button and it blows the door off or the lid or whatever it is they're trying to get into. They just blow it off. And so the drug cartels are like, oh, thanks for showing us that. They just blow holes in our steel boiler fencing and drive trucks through it. So $18 million, it doesn't sound worth it.
3: No, not at all. That's that's what it boils down to the problem to the cartels. And so why are we not fighting the cartel? Why are we not helping our, our neighbor to the south who has cancer? Why are we not ridding the cancer of it? It's just going to keep getting worse. And this, the cartels have been controlling Mexico for, for decades. I mean, very long time. And they've been given a free pass. I mean, there's been more murders in Mexico than there has been in Iraq and Afghanistan last year. And that shows you something. If, if there's all these deaths going on, all this crime... Why, why are we not putting a big focus on these cartels and border security? Um,
4: That's a good point.
3: Going on and, um, I, I, I think it's time we take a fight to the cartels.
1: It's well, if
4: a simple designation of the the cartels as terrorist organizations would change everything because then the U.S. Yep. military could be engaged and they would use the same kind of attacks that we use on terrorist cells in syria and right. what we used on, on al-qaeda and, and most recently on isis what we currently use on isis is we use drone warfare and we use uh intelligence and we go in and we kill indiscriminately because they're enemy combatants and so we don't have to delineate we can kill yeah. at will um that is what we should be doing with the drug cartels because they're literally destroying they've lowered our, our uh, life expectancy due to the overdoses that they're, they're so numerous i mean that. All the information is there and you're making the points. And I just want to say for me to you, and I'm sure the listening audience is, is right here behind me with me when I say thank you for being proactive and taking some action. I think you're doing this can empower some other people out there. Um, it, you don't have to be a millionaire. You don't have to own a construction company, but you can get together with other Americans and make something happen. And I'm looking forward to updates from your from your website showing some wall. You don't have to tell us exactly what the address is. We get it. But you could show us some pictures yeah. of some wall going up and we would really be encouraged by that. Um, oh, I, I applaud what you're doing. Thank you. Well,
3: I appreciate it. Thanks for having me
4: on. Yeah, we hope to talk to you again soon, Brian, with some, some updates okay. on, on wall and, and keep up oh, what we'll you're doing. <laughs> the website is webuildthewall.us and he even has merchandise on there if you want to support what they're doing. You can buy mugs, sweatshirts, T-shirts, hats um, to kind of support what Brian and, and his team are, are doing down at the southern border. We need more Americans to step up and do what he's doing. Thank you, sir.
3: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me.
4: On. All right, talk to you again soon. Uh I just I'm I I know that originally he was going to give the money to the federal government and then he ran into some problems and uh you know, news stories kind of dwindled down a little bit and p- I think people thought, "Up, oh, you know, another one. He started something and he couldn't finish it and, you know, what did he do with the money?" Well, he's actually still doing what he said he would do. Um, Which is his goal was to get wall built at the southern border. And so he's still doing that. And I think that's to be applauded because he really ran up against a brick wall. And I love it how if have you noticed that whenever someone who's a private citizen says they want to do something, then the Democrats and the federal government, they sick the ACLU or some other organization on them, or they'll just have the government. Well, we don't accept this or that. And then the person is left thwarted and unable to help and and Americans are really wanting to help because they want to see some change here. They want to want to protect other Americans. They want to feel like they're not powerless because, you know, what's funny to me is we don't have anybody telling us we can't pay any taxes. We don't have anybody telling us, oh, don't don't let you know, don't send those checks in. Don't let them automatically suck that money out of your check before it hits your bank account before your money slides into your bank account. They've already got theirs. You don't see anybody saying that, do you? No one ever says, no, don't pay your taxes. You dissatisfied? No, they're like, you're dissatisfied. You keep paying your tax, but also you can't do anything about us busing illegal aliens into your town and dropping them off. And the other part of the story that I thought was so interesting is you've got churches in the area that hear these illegal aliens are inbound, and so they rush over, and they're trying to find, like, shelter for them, and, you know, so they're just not roaming the street. So for everybody out there who says prayers, Thoughts and prayers. Oh, all y'all Christians, all you want to do is hate on illegal aliens. All you evangelical Christians who want to build a wall, you hate illegal aliens. Well, it's our churches that we're funding with our tithes that are rushing in and taking care of the busloads of illegal aliens. It's not the federal government lackeys, the ones who worship at the altar of Barack Obama. They're not rushing out and helping these people. It's amazing to me that the same people who are pushing this policy on us and making it possible for busloads of illegal aliens to be dropped off in American towns and cities are the same ones who have their little pocketbooks and their front doors closed. They're not doing anything to help when it comes to the real people who these are sure they're raw numbers, but each of those raw numbers is a person who is ending up inside the country. And what are we to do, especially when. The assumption is that they all speak Spanish and English. No, they don't. And a lot of them don't speak the Spanish that like the Spanish we learn in, um, you know, if you take Spanish from kindergarten on, which is like the policy at a lot of these public schools nowadays, or if you choose Spanish as your second language or foreign languages, you're going to take for three or four years in high school, you, you're not speaking the same Spanish that the people speak when they come from these kind of really not localized areas from Guatemala. It's like all different. The, it's not all the same Spanish. So the English as a second language teachers in America are having to learn different dialects and different versions of Spanish to teach. They, they have to be able to speak to these people so they can teach them English. So this is a huge, huge problem. And we need to have something done about it, right? Wow. I paused and then the break music came on be getting good at this old radio thing (laughs) all right listen we have your calls when we get back from this break and the number that you can call to join us is 866-963-2037 866-963-2037 more stacy on the right right after the break Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. Just because we attempt to follow the roles that we believe God has established for husbands and wives doesn't mean we let tradition define who does what in our household. There are some things that Tony is more gifted at doing and other things that I feel I'm better equipped at. The key is working together to ensure we're each handling those things we do best.
5: It's a pretty simple concept, but not everyone understands the principle. Rather than holding on to rigid, defined roles of the husband does this and the wife does that, we've learned to be a helpmate to each other and work as a team.
4: Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. The Constitution gives the federal government a mandate to, quote, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, end quote. House Speaker Pelosi is pushing for the passage of her latest government overreach project, the Equality Act, which would make gender identity and sexual orientation protected classes. Passing this bill would open a veritable Pandora's box of compelled speech, financially catastrophic financial penalties, and shut down faith-based charities that refuse to bow to this latest form of government coercion. Think of Jack Phillips, Memories Pizza, and other small business owners who have been ruined or financially depleted by the refusal to bow down to the LGBT agenda. This bill would make those actions routine and inescapable. It's interesting that of all the truly crisis-level problems facing America right now, Speaker Pelosi chooses to waste time on this. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. This is House Call for Health. If you're middle-aged and you don't exercise, you've probably said something like, I've been like this for years, no point in changing now. Well, a new study says you're wrong about that. The study tracked exercise patterns of more than 300,000 AARP members. It found that people who got regular physical activity were 36% less likely to die early compared to couch potatoes. And researchers were surprised to find that people who were inactive when they were young but began an exercise schedule in their 40s and 50s also had a sharp decline in the risk of early death by 35 percent. Researchers found a risk decline in both heart disease and cancer. The study in the online journal JAMA Network Open says it's never too late to start moving, but it also says young people should not use this as an excuse to sit
2: still until they get older. For more health news, go to foxnewshealth.com. House Call for Health. I'm Anna Wells, Fox News.
0: You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
5: About 80% of American kids uh, consider themselves as just plain old Americans before they enter high school, and about two thirds of them, about halfway through college, become hyphenated Americans. Uh, We remove those hyphens in the Army uh, and the military uh you know you're a soldier next question you know we got we all wear the same patch on our right shoulder uh, the american flag and that's what it's all about um and uh and and that's that's a process that most armies do not uh really go through you probably don't have to go through it in some armies where everybody is monolingual linguistic monoethnic or whatever you know finland or someplace like that but In the United States, we do. They should go through it in Arab armies, but they don't. Um, And and that's a significant difference. Is it getting harder in the US military to uh, assimilate everybody and get everybody on the same plane for the same team? Yeah, it is. Identity politics is a cancer. Uh, and, And an army is a reflection of a society. And, if, and we have seen what Balkanization looks like. I've been in the Balkans uh, multiple times, and, uh, and in uh, Afghanistan and Iraq. And, and it's a dangerous path that uh, we're moving along. And eventually, it's going to become too hard for us to fix.
4: Do you hear what he's saying? So remember, we have an all-volunteer military service. And welcome back to the show. If you want to call in to join us right now during this segment, it's 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. That was Lieutenant General McFarland talking about identity politics. And if you listen to what he just said, all-volunteer military, and when people come in, normally the things that I – I'll just go by what I remember going into uh, basic training. What I noticed was that – growing up in in Germany, I was always the one that my friends would tease, I talk proper, I talk like a white person. You know, and and that was just pure ignorance, but that was a lot of what the teasing that I would get because when my parents went over to Germany, my dad was stationed in Germany and we went there from um Fort Myers or yeah, Fort Myers in DC. So we get over there and I'm like, I don't know, 8 years old, and I've always, I grew up, my, I was born, my dad was already in the military. So I was born on a military base and I went to school from kindergarten through high school on a military basis. And so I was always like wherever we were was home as opposed to kids who had a home and grew up in a neighborhood and then move with their parents for the first time to a military base and had to assimilate to that. It was the opposite for me. And I did that after I graduated from high school and went to a couple years of college. And then I was only, the college experience was the only assimilation into the civilian world that I really had, a time where I was in the civilian area. I still had a a military ID card as a dependent. And then I joined the Air Force. So um, this is, it's different because you don't have an accent that reflects where you grew up because I grew up on military bases. So it was one of the things that I noticed when we went to, when I went to basic training was just there were so many people there who had like deep South accents, people who had like a California accent. There were very few of them, but there were people who had, you know, clearly they came from California and also reflects the, the time timeframe. <laughs> um, um, and so I, I, you know, it's, it's one of those things where the biggest deal for us was kind of just deciphering what the deep South people were saying and kind of laughing with the New Yorkers, like anybody who came from New York state with that accent, that Northeastern accent. Um, we we would just want to hear them talk because that was an accent that I had. I, I didn't know very many people with an accent like that. I had not encountered that. Um, but most of us, it wasn't an issue of, you know, black, white, anything like that. We were all kind of of the mindset that we were the pukes, you know, the, the underlings. We were basic trainees and everybody there seemed to be there so they could break us. Like every person who had any rank at all was there to break us. And so we we were unified and all wearing the same uniform, all sleeping in the same communal dorm, open bunks next to each other with a little uh, like a closet thing in between. The, no no privacy whatsoever. Group showers, eating together, sleeping together, getting told to do push-ups together. Doing uh, bird poop duty, they had some overhang outside of a building and birds would roost in the overhang and then they, you know, you'd have to clean bird poop. And that was something that when you were on that rotation, you had to do that every day for a week. It was a part of your duty. Every morning you had to do that for like three hours. When you're on buffer duty, you had to do floors. When it was your turn to do that, that's what you did all evening, you know, or sometimes they'd let you do it earlier in the day, but usually that was right before bed. You'd have to go and buff all of the floors on the area that you were assigned These things were to make us a part of a team. If you saw someone who couldn't get their job done or was hurting and unable to do it, you would pick up the slack for them because if something was left undone, everyone got in trouble at the same time. So there was zero balkanization when when I went in, but obviously, you know, I'm not in my 20s or my 30s, right? So this was some time ago. I hadn't been told in high school that I was a victim or that black people were victims. Um, I hadn't been told that, you know, white people were the oppressors. Really, I had been told actually in high school because I went to Department of Defense schools. I was told that, you know, on this military base, every person you see walking, whether they're wearing a uniform or not, is supporting the mission of the United States. And so, in that, we are all unified. We are also all Americans. And if you see someone on base who m- might be a German national or someone from another country who's working as a contractor on the base, they're also working to support the mission. So, regardless of their, you know, uh, actual background, um, they would, they would be a part of the team as well. And so you, if, and obviously I was raised on military installations, So that's what I was told by teachers. And you know, if we had the off teacher who was a little bit weird and socialist or Marxist, they were the teacher that everybody hated, even the other teachers. And they were kind of ostracized. And those teachers would usually rotate back to the States and not keep teaching. So it's just weird that um, he's talking about that now. But then again, it's not weird, is it? It's not weird that he's saying that, he, that the U.S. military is now having to face basically deprogramming these kids so that they understand that, you know what? So you're black, so what? So you have a permanent tan, so what? So you're white, so what? So you're Hispanic, so what? You're here to do a job. And your primary mission is to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and all other duties as assigned. What else? What else have you got? If you if you just get that up in you, the rest of it can fall to the wayside. Right. So it's just interesting that he would say that. And he's this isn't a political guy. He is um, he's a he's a military general. He's in charge of thousands of troops. He's responsible for them, not just as military assets, but as people that he cares about, that he wants to make decisions that ensure their safety, but also ensure that they can perform the mission. Um, so let's go to the phones. Um, let's talk to Jacob in Alabama. Hey, Jacob, thank you for calling the show today. Uh, how you feeling, my sister? Oh, pretty good. How about you? Good.
3: Um, again, any better, I wouldn't be able to stand it. What's your I'll comment you. today? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think with your situation, with that border. You mentioned this a few months back. See, God is using you prophetically as well. You need a military
0: installation on the border that'll take care of MS-13 because they're terrorists. It'll take care of everything. And once you do that,
3: this thing will stop. It won't be blowing up the walls.
4: Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. Yeah, and and if if they do it, that's all they have to do. But the fact is, whatever we do, we have to... Get ready to come together as a country until the Lord returns. This can't be like okay next year, like like a uh, uh, two thousand one with the and we go right back to being the same thing. This has to be a commitment to defending this country, to supporting the president. Because the way they talk about the president is disgraceful.
4: Mm-hmm. It is, and and I want to say, Jacob, and thank thank you for calling the show. I. I want to say when, when Jacob just mentioned just then, I want to reiterate what he just said, obviously we care about what's happening at the border, we care about the, the, um, we care about our laws being followed, and, and we care about the politicians that are supposed to represent us following the law and being, you know, representing us well, And that, to me, means they have to have some kind of godly influence, and some of them do, and many of them don't. But he also said something about being prepared for when Jesus comes. <laughs> And that is no joke. We have to be prepared. So, you know, obviously we want to render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, but we want to make sure our hearts are ready for that eventuality, which means first of all, we have to be saved. You have to join, join the club, get at the buffet, partake. Um, you have to be saved and then you have to be living for Jesus Christ. Just being saved isn't enough when you're talking about maintaining and growing. In Jesus Christ. It's a process by which we are sanctified and we need to make sure that we're on that process and, and that we're actively participating. Um, George in Oklahoma, thank you for calling the show today. Hello. I can hear you. Thanks for calling the show, George.
3: Oh, okay, thank you. I didn't hear, you. I heard a crash there. Uh, anyway, I was just, um, they made a, uh, I heard that the, the detention center didn't have enough room that they were turning away the aliens because, uh, they didn't have any way to keep them. And I was just wondering, did anyone remember that when, um, the president, uh, after the, uh, shutdown that the Democrats lowered the number of beds? Mm -hmm. So there wouldn't be any room.
4: Yeah, that was a part that was inside that bill. Yeah, they lowered it by like 9,000.
3: And so so they were talking about how they didn't have any room to turn away. And it was the Democrats who put that in that. So that would be the result. And it's Mm -hmm. happening. But I was surprised that nobody mentioned that because they were talking about they had to turn them away Mm -hmm. because they couldn't have anywhere to keep them. But the Democrats is the one who was responsible for putting that, you know, during the shutdown.
4: Great catch. Fantastic. Uh, George, thank you for pointing that out. So what he's referring to is in this most recent bill after the shutdown, the bill that the president signed that all of us were so hopping mad about, had this provision in there where um, they, they basically had these beds um, the number of beds that they were maintaining was lowered. So that is what he's talking about. And so you see the busloads of people being dropped off in American cities. Thanks. Thank a Democrat. When you see one say, oh, yeah, thanks for making sure that we have more illegal aliens running around the country. We re- appreciate you. You know, you just doing a fantastic bang up job of destroying America and making lawlessness the rule of, of the of, the, of the, the way we go here. Kenny in Oklahoma, thank you for calling the show today.
3: Hello hey, Stacy hey. can you hear me?
4: Yes I can hear hey, you thanks Stacey. for
3: calling. Okay Stacy thank you for your program. Uh, Abraham Hamilton here a week or so ago told us that the National Education Association which practically runs the schools for the most part mm-hmm. are indoctrinating the little small children with the uh, transgender perversion. May I ask in all sincerity can we get together us evangelicals who care about our country and care about our children? Can we find some politicians on the national level, on the federal level, on the state level that will try to pass legislation to make it illegal for our little bitty children to be indoctrinated by this homosexual, transgender movement?
4: Okay. Kenny, fantastic idea, but I'm going to say, I'm going to say this to parents and I say this in all sincerity as a mom, I remember when my kids are really small. It's the reason why I volunteered. So I know for some moms, you're working every day and you can't do this. And so this is it, it, this is no condemnation. But for moms who are staying home, the, the burden is upon us. When we stay home and we're taking care of our kids at home, even if you have small ones at home, that means you're in the building. That means you're volunteering. You're on the copy committee. One of the best places to find out what's going on in a school is to be on the copy committee because you get every piece of paper that whatever teachers are using your, that copier, you're making the copies. So you get to look at every piece of paper. The paper that doesn't come home in your kid's backpack, you get to look at it because you make 24 copies for that class, 20 for that one, 19 for that one. You make all the copies and you spend about two hours once a week working on that. You'll also be on the copy committee, which means a bunch of other moms will be working it with you. So they'll be there maybe two or three times a week and you might do one two-hour shift. That's where you're supposed to be. If you're listening to this show right now, you didn't hear me say that by accident. If you're a stay-at-home mom or you have a flexible position where you have time to volunteer at your kid's school during the week, one, uh, one hour, two hours a week, the copy committee is where you need to be. Now, you're saying, well, I'm on the copy committee. I don't control what they do. But you can say, I'm sorry, why am I making 20 copies of this transgender thing for kindergarten class? And the, the teacher will say, oh, well, our curriculum for – um." development is um and you could say i'm taking first i'm discussing this with you the chain of command stands i have to talk to you about it as a teacher my child will not be looking at this and nor will any kid in this class you stand your ground you have your holy righteous indignation you keep your tone non-threatening but you let that teacher know they're now on notice they better not ever slide a piece of paper with this stuff on it to your kid again and then you go to the principal and you tell them the same thing and then you show up at the school board meeting with your copy and you say this is what i was told to copy for my children's class or for a class in my children's elementary school, and there's no way I'm ever going to let it fly. So all of you will be voted out because me and my 4,000 mom friends will make sure you never get elected again if I ever see something like this cross the copy committee again. And if you try to throw me off the copy committee, you're going to pay for that too. It's time for Christians to stand up. If we're not standing up, they're going to stand up and roll right over our kids and send them all on the path to hell. It's your job to stop it. These elected officials can not do what you can do in a classroom, in the building, on the copy committee. Moms, stand up. Annas, rise up. Let's get this done. We'll be back with more after the break. God bless if you're leaving us now.